I think I needed that song this morning, y'all. Anybody else? Yeah. We live in a world where it's not always easy to have a smile on your face. And anything that we can remember, that can remind us that there's so much more than this. That even the grave is not the end. The grave is only the beginning as it was for Jesus. That was, you know, they, they thought they beat him. The devil thought he had won for three days. It looked like he had, but then he came back. And just as he walks out of that grave, so can we. So can we. I got I to gotta give a big shout out to my man this week. Elijah turned 12. Can you? I love it. If you could only see the awkward look on his face, you'd be enjoying it as much as I am. Maybe you remember being 12. Yeah. He's, oh, Elijah, he's my good buddy. Um, I remember when I took him to his very first flag football practice, it was with Upward. I can't say enough good about the Upward program. Great stuff, you know, um, Bible-based, Christ-based, good stuff. So I, I took him to his first flag football practice. He was what, maybe kindergarten? Kindergarten, just a little little scrawny guy. And uh, walked into practice excited. I thought, man, I'm going to watch my son practice football. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to relax. And uh, I walked him over and I said, hey, here's Elijah. And then I found out that the guy who was supposed to be the coach didn't show up. So guess who accidentally became coach? <laughs> it was a great accident, though. You know, if only all the accidents I've had would be that good. So I got to coach him for, for years, and um, one of the best things that's ever happened to me, and uh, he said he wants to come back and we'll maybe work together and coach the younger kids. Now that he's too old to play, he wants to pass that on. It's pretty awesome. One of the fun things about Upward Flag Football is most years they let kids pick a nickname, to, to be used, to, to be announced, they'll run through a tunnel and they'll say, now introducing Elijah, Beast Mode, Shockley, you know, and yay, everybody claps, and that was his, Beast Mode. Um, if you were going to play flag football, what would you choose as your, as your nickname? Overcomer. The Overcomer? All right, that's nice. I mean, so some of you are like, I need some more time to think, preacher. I, don't put me on the spot like that. Um, by far, the most common name requested by those little kids was a superhero name, The Flash. You remember The Flash, right? The superhero known for his speed. And let me tell you what, elementary school boys love nothing better than to tell you how fast they are. And then to demonstrate how fast they are with sound effects. Ask an elementary school kid, are you fast? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let me show you how fast I am. And, and they'll take off running and go, Pew, you know, and jetter. You know, I don't know what the sound effects are all about. Uh, but the kids just, kids do that. Little boys especially just do that. The Flash. Now, I'll just be honest. I'll tell you here, I would not tell this to the kids. But some of the kids who requested the name Flash were pretty fast and some of them were were not were not fast i'm not like i got a lot of room to talk i've never been fast on on my feet they say fight or flight and i you don't look do i look like i do a lot of cardio not really i don't really do a lot of fighting either anyway moving on um the thing is they were very confident in their speed very confident 
but in reality, their speed had never been tested. You know, they 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 were fast as they saw it, but they didn't really they didn't really know. The thing is, it's much more easy to be confident in your ability when your ability's never really been tested. Um, did you ever watch any of those early seasons of American Idol back in the day, or some singing show, and uh, watch any singing contest and they would have people come out and sing and you knew they were on the you felt bad for them it's like that secondhand cringe does anyone ever get any secondhand embarrassment secondhand cringe because you get somebody coming out there and they're so confident in their singing ability and it is just not not there and it's it's like man why would you put these guys through this it's not really nice to to do people that way but it seemed like the less able someone was, the more confident they were. And the opposite was true. Someone who was really quite talented was uncertain of themselves. Have you seen that? We're not good at judging our own abilities. People are not good at estimating their own understanding or capability. Um, here's an example that's probably a little closer to home for all of us. Have you ever had somebody who has never done your job tell you how to do your job? You're thinking of something right now. You're, you got a face in mind. Okay. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've been a pastor. Everybody's like, everybody knows how to do a pastor's job when they've never been a pastor. So I feel that too. But, but it's, it's so funny, especially, have you ever had to work with the public in any capacity? Like work in retail or in a restaurant or something and... Everybody that comes through the door feels like they know how to do your job better than you, even though they know nothing about it. See, they, they overestimate their understanding, for sure. I, I, think of, uh, I don't think I'd want to be in the school system, either. I wouldn't want to be a teacher. I know we've got some teachers present, because everybody thinks they know how to do the job of a teacher when they've never actually done it, so... Uh, you would probably invite them to go wrangle a bunch of five-year-olds and see at the end of the day if their opinion has changed. See, these are examples of a concept that I find fascinating. I'm one of these guys that reads all these weird little articles. It's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Not the Freddy Krueger effect. That's a completely different thing. The Dunning-Kruger effect is this idea that the less someone really knows about something the more likely they are to overestimate their understanding. To overestimate their ability. James and I were talking about dirt track racing before the service today, and, and he and I both agreed that, you know, we would think, hey, we're pretty good drivers. We think we're pretty good drivers. But he said, looking out there and seeing these guys drifting around this dirt track, he's like, you know, maybe, maybe I couldn't do that. <laughs> and I couldn't even begin to do that. The more you know about something, the more you're like, hey, maybe I don't understand this as well as I thought. Maybe I wouldn't be as good as I thought. But, but then there's lots of folks in the world, including us sometimes, that we think we understand something, but that's really because we don't know as much about it as we think we do. You know, that seems to be true when it comes to spiritual matters as well. Um, one day Jesus was invited to eat at the house of a man named Simon. Simon absolutely believed he knew what it meant to be righteous. And if you were to ask Simon, are you a righteous man? He'd say, yeah, obviously. I keep all the rules. I do all the stuff. I'm righteous. Absolutely. Turns out 
Simon didn't know that much about what it really meant to be righteous. Simon was a Pharisee. You've heard Pharisees, right? In, in our time, the word Pharisee is almost a synonym of hypocrite. If you call someone a Pharisee, it's an insult, right? That they're hypocritical. Um, that was not the case in Jesus' day. In the Gospels, b- before Jesus helped people see the, the contrast between true righteousness and, and only apparent righteousness, the Pharisees were very well respected. They were seen as the, the most faithful, most dedicated of all the people in Israel. The, the name Pharisee means separated. They saw themselves as being a group set apart because they were the only ones really keeping all the rules and all the traditions of the Old Testament. Some of them were sincere. You do see some sincere Pharisees. You see guys like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You know John 3.16, that famous verse, it was spoken to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. He was a sincere Pharisee. And then you get other guys kind of like Simeon, who thought they had it all together, and they didn't. Of course, there's a problem when you see yourself as the only person keeping all the rules. It can make you very self-righteous, where you, you can't see your own flaws and you, you can't see your need. And that can happen with Jesus followers if we're not careful. You know, I, I've known a lot of Jesus folks through the years, and I, I believe they really love the Lord. I've met some folks who I really believe love the Lord, but man, did they ever like to tell you how they were living so much better than other folks. You ever met anybody like that? It's like, man, I'm just, whew, them folk, my neighbor over there, he's, oh, you just see what he's doing. He mows his yard completely the wrong way. I mow my yard as the way the Lord intended, out and back and out and back and out and back, you know. When I'm in charge of mowing the yard, it starts to look like the Garden of Eden, full of vegetation. Some of y'all will get that. That means I'm not good at keeping up with the yard, so there you go. So y'all can judge me on that. (laughs) <laughs> it must be hard living in a neighborhood where the guy next to you mows his yard all the time. That's adult peer pressure. I'm glad I live out sort of by myself where I don't have that. Uh, the cows are mowing the yards around me, and uh, they do a pretty good job. But anyway, I've, I've, met some, I've met some Jesus folks like that that just want to tell you how much better they're living than everybody else. Or I've met some folks who I know love the Bible but it seems like they, they always want to tell you how, how wrong the people who read a different translation of the Bible are and just make such a huge thing out of that. Not saying it's unimportant, but man, we're not going to make enemies of people because they read a slightly different translation of the Bible than we do. It doesn't make sense. Now, I don't know a lot about Simeon's background beyond what we see in this story, but we know this much. He's very confident in his own righteousness. When Simeon invited Jesus to dinner, it was not because Simeon thought he needed something that Jesus had to offer. He would have seen it as Jesus needing something from Simeon. Jesus needing to prove himself to Simeon. After all, Simeon is the established religious person and... Jesus is this new up-and-coming rabbi, so you would invite him and say, hey, here's your chance to prove yourself, preacher boy. Simeon was convinced that he was just fine. Did I keep, I keep saying Simeon, don't I? I think it's just Simon. 
It's just Simon. Putting another E in there. Same, same meaning, okay? Will you guys forgive me for that? Well, there goes my record right off. There goes my record. It's, uh, it is Simon. I don't know why I keep saying Simeon. I am going to bump this down. I don't know if it's as hot down there as it is up here, but it's hot up here. And I'll just kick everything loose. Have, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Has it been hot enough for you? Absolutely. You know what that heat does? It grows tomatoes. And you know what tomatoes do? They turn into salsa. So I they say, thank you, Jesus, for summertime. You can't have salsa without a little heat in the atmosphere. So we're going to be grateful. No salsa also means no tacos. And no tacos is tragic. So thank you, Lord, for the sunny days. So Simon, now that we have his name right, Simon... He's pretty confident in his spiritual position. He's, real, he's a real confident. If you've ever met a religious person who was very confident that they were God's favorite, they were probably a little bit like Simon. So he invites Jesus around. Simon is sure of himself. He's not so sure of Jesus. So he invites Jesus around to say, hey, let's see if this guy, you know, let's see what he has to say. Of course, when Jesus comes to town, it's a pretty big stir. So there's probably people crowded around outside trying to get a peek in. They did not have glass windows. They might have been able to, you know, actually physically look in and see what's going on. And, and Simon probably would not have minded that too much. So what I'm about to tell you, the story I'm about to tell you requires us to get into the time and into the place when Jesus lived because houses were set up differently and the way they went about something as simple as a meal was quite, quite different. In our day, we sit at a table to eat a meal. Uh, that is if we're not crashing on the couch and watching something on Netflix. But we're, when, when we have guests over, we're probably going to sit at a table with chairs that are elevated quite a bit off the floor. Not so in Jesus' time. In that time, in that culture, the floor would have been, uh, the, the table would have been very low to the floor. Probably less than a foot off the ground. Lower than this stage. Or it might have just been a really fancy cloth spread out on the floor. And I know that sounds weird to us, doesn't it? It's like, why would you, why would you have a picnic in your house? My kids used to love that so much to spread out a blanket in the floor and like picnic style in the living room. That was great. But we could not imagine eating like that all the time. But that's what they did. Even, even powerful, wealthy people, even kings would often eat their meals like that at a very low table or something spread out on the floor. So you're not sitting in a chair at all in the sense that we would call a chair. They would have like cushions that they would recline on. You'd be kind of like leaning over on a cushion. I imagine like a beanbag chair. Those were like the greatest things when you're a kid, right? And then you get on one as an adult and you get stuck. There's no dignified way for a grown-up to get off of a beanbag chair. It's like a beached whale. Or that's just me. It's like, Lord, I know my feet and my legs work and my arms work. Why can't I get off of this chair? I could not imagine eating meals on the floor and having to get up and down, but apparently they did back then. That's what they did. So you can imagine you're, you have this like tablecloth in front of you, and you're, you're reclining on the floor. You're kind of up on an elbow, right? Up on an elbow, up on a cushion. You're sort of laid over, and you're using your right hand to reach for, 
reach for food. And they had like communal food bowls and stuff, which would so not work in COVID times at all. And that's just, that's, you know, I don't want you reaching in my food bowl. It's it's just, you're going to draw back a nub is what's going to happen. So you don't, you don't want that. But anyway, that's, that is how they ate propped up on an elbow and reaching in the middle. So as you can picture this, if you're eating this way, weird question, but where are your feet? Your feet aren't under the table, correct? If you're got a blanket on the floor and you're propped up on an elbow and you're reaching in and your head is towards the food, your feet are behind you. We together on this? Now this is important for the story. This isn't just something I'm, I'm not just stringing you along. I'll string you along with other stuff, but this is important to the story. Your feet are behind you. That's important. While... Jesus and Simon and the others were eating and talking. Something bizarre happened. A woman barges in to the room. She just comes in. She's definitely not invited. And everyone's so surprised they don't really say anything. What would you do if someone just sort of walked into your house that you didn't know during dinner? Or, or worse, you, you did know them. Hey, We're in the south and in the mountains. So you would probably go get your friend Smith and your other friend Wes, and I understand. Um, But they didn't have that back then. So uh, she just barges in, and everyone's surprised, and no one says anything. And then it gets even more strange. Um, What happens next? Simon knew this lady. Everybody knew this lady. This was the lady that everybody in town said, you know, maybe I ain't perfect but I'm not like her. Luke does not come out and tell us what this woman did to get such a reputation, but in that culture, there was really only one thing it could be. Um, she would have uh, probably been the, the town prostitute. I mean, I, there's no other nice way to put it. That's probably who she was, a working girl. Um, she was... As uh, uh, well, she was, she was a flusy. That's what she was. That's what she was. Almost certainly the case. And one thing for sure was this lady was not invited, not at all. But as the stunned onlookers watched, it got worse. This woman walk creeps up to Jesus's feet. Now, where are his feet relative to the table? They're behind him. And she like comes up to his feet and she's crying. She's weeping so profusely that her tears are just drenching his feet. And then she does the unthinkable in that culture. She touches his feet. Not only that, but she takes down her long, beautiful hair and begins to use her hair to clean the dust and the dirt of the road off of this of, of Jesus' feet. That sounds so wild, doesn't it? Let me tell you, it was no less shocking in the time of Jesus. If it sounds weird to you and me, there's so much about this that absolutely was not going to work in that culture. For one thing, feet. You didn't touch feet in that culture. 
feet were dirty, you know, like really dirty because people wore sandals and it was a dry, dusty country and they were not just stinky but covered in grit and, and mess and, and road slime and mud and whatever was on the road. It was bad. It was custom when someone came to your house, you offered them the opportunity to wash their feet. That sounds weird to us. Like, hey, I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> uh, you want to wash your feet? You'd be like, why, why are they asking me to wash my feet? Can you smell my feet? What are you talking about my feet for? But it was the opposite in that culture. If you didn't give someone the opportunity to wash their feet, it was considered rude. I can't wait till I show up at somebody's house and, and, they, and, I knock, and they y'all let me in and say, Preacher, you want to wash your feet? <laughs> I took care of that before I got here, but thank you so much for the offer. It, you didn't touch feet. Okay, a lot, Still, a lot of people are squeamish about feet. I don't especially want anybody's feet on me. Um, second, the hair. Hair is still very important today. Very important in our culture. Most women are particular about their hair. And should you mess with a lady's hair, it's not going to go well for you. It might be the last time you mess with anyone's hair or breathe. Um, in that culture, hair was even more important than it is in ours, if you can believe it. Remember, they used very little makeup. They did not have designer clothing. The attractiveness of a woman it, in that culture, I'm not saying it's good or right, it's just how it was. The hair was considered the thing, the point of attraction in a woman. It was the pride, it was the glory of a woman, was their hair. That was the essential thing. That was like the thing. It was like the, the substitute for all the makeup and all the clothes that might be used today. It was the hair. It was like everything. It's like, you know, and in our culture, you know, beards are makeup for men, Right? Where's my bearded brothers at? Yeah, okay. Beards are makeup for men and sawdust is man glitter. Now you just take that with you and you come in the house and you're covered in, you got sawdust all in your beard and you just flip your hair back and you say, am I looking good, girl? And see if that works. See if that works for you. Anyway, the hair, it's just the idea that she would even take down her hair in a public place really wasn't done. And to use the hair to clean the feet was just more unbelievable than it would be if you saw it today. And then third, and this one would have been the big one if the other two hadn't been big enough. In that culture, you did not let anybody with a bad reputation touch you. Even today, if you're in Food Lion... And someone who looks pretty sketchy comes up and starts like trying to touch you, you're probably going to have an issue with that, right? Yes. But in that culture, someone with a bad reputation, it was, it was viewed, this was not the, the case, but it was viewed that if you let somebody who was with a messed up life touch you, it would almost contaminate you. Jesus was criticized for allowing these sinful people to touch him but sin's not transferred through touch it's deep down inside 
Because you can be clean on the outside and dirty on the inside. And that's how it really works. So it just, it, this was a thing that just didn't happen. Jesus knew all of this. He knew the cultural norms. Yet he didn't stop her. And she did not stop either. You know what she did next? After she has cleaned his feet with her tears and her hair, she brings out a very expensive bottle of perfume. Incredibly expensive bottle of perfume. And perfume is always, always expensive. But this one was so expensive, it probably was worth about three months' salary. That's like an engagement ring level of expensive, right? So we, have, we don't have a category for that expensive of perfume but that was the reality that this was like three months you'd have to work three months as a normal laborer to afford this and she pours it out on his feet as she's kissing his feet and applying this perfume to his feet so simon whose house this is whose whose house this woman has barged into interrupted his dinner party messed with the guy's feet and there's now poor perfume he's he's gone from shocked to disgusted and you know what he's thinking he's thinking man if if jesus was really a prophet from god he'd know what kind of a woman this is he'd know she's a dirty nasty sinner and he'd never let her touch him thing is about jesus though jesus is god and he can read minds. And he knew everything about this woman. He understood her checkered past better than she did. He knew exactly what Simon was thinking. And Jesus at that moment could have called out Simon right there and set him straight. Instead, he did not. He went around about what he wanted to give Simon a chance to understand what he was missing. He said, Simon, I have a story to tell you. Simon said, I... Okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm listening. And Jesus tells the story like this. Jesus said there was a rich man, very wealthy man, who loaned out money to two other men. To one of them he loaned 500 gold coins. To the other he loaned 50 gold coins. And it's, it's hard to convert ancient currency to modern value. So think maybe like one of them owed $100,000 and one of them owed $10,000. That's kind of in the neighborhood. Jesus said, it came time for these men who had borrowed money to repay the loan. But neither of them could pay it. They had nothing with which to pay. And they came to the creditor and they expected... To be thrown into debtor's prison. That's what was done in those days. If you had a debt you could not pay, they would throw you in jail until somebody could figure out a way to pay your debt and buy you out of prison. But the man to whom they owed the debt did something surprising. He forgave them. He forgave them the whole debt. He forgave one of them $100,000 and the other, the $10,000 that he owed. What a remarkable thing. Then Jesus turned to Simon and said to him, you see how the creditor forgave them both, but which one of these men will love him more? 
Simon didn't have to think very hard. He said, well, it's, it's obvious. The one who was forgiven of the greater debt will love him more. And Jesus said, exactly. Simon still didn't get it. But I bet you do. Jesus, while he's still looking at this woman, he, he says to Simon, says, Simon, do you, do you see this woman here? You see what she's done for me? This is your house. You invited me to be a guest in your home, but you didn't even give me the common courtesy of providing me some water to wash my own feet. Yet this woman, who wasn't invited at all, has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Simon, I am your guest, you say, but when I came in your door, you didn't greet me with a kiss. That was a typical greeting in those times, a light kiss on the cheek. Please don't try that if I come to your home. It's not going to work for me. He said, Simon, you didn't, you didn't give me a, a proper greeting, yet this woman is continually kissing my feet. He said, Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil. That sounds weird to us, but it's a dry, dusty place, and, and that was something that was hospitality, that you would offer somebody some oil because it was such a dry environment. He said, you didn't give me, offer any, any oil, as a good host should, but this woman has anointed my feet with perfume. And then we're going to read the rest as a direct quote. This is Luke chapter 7, verses 47 through 50. This is Jesus speaking to Simon. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The woman walked away forgiven. I think it skipped ahead there. The woman walked away forgiven. And Simon just sat there confused. How is it that the prostitute went away righteous, but not the preacher? How did that happen? Jesus said she was... she she. <laughs> It was, had something to do with love. Now, was she forgiven because she loved? Or did she love because she was forgiven? The illustration shows us that she had a sense of how much she was forgiven. She was forgiven the $100,000, and boy, was she really, really grateful for that. She understood how badly she needed to be set free. For her, this incredibly humble or even humiliating act of of washing the feet of Jesus with her tears and with her hair, for her it didn't feel like a sacrifice. For her it, it wasn't a humiliation at all. It seemed like the least she could do. Now contrast that with Simon the Pharisee. He was the one who looked like he had it together. He was the religious guru. He invited Jesus to his house, but did he really welcome Jesus in? He did not. He did not greet Jesus at the door with a kiss. That was the standard greeting, kind of like a handshake would be, at least before COVID. Now we're like, you, you do that awkward, weird dance, and when you meet somebody, it's like, hey, do we shake hands? Do we not shake hands? Do we fist bump? Do we just wave from a distance and say, hey, hi, nice to meet you? You know, air high five. 
air high five, air hug, you know, what do we do? But that was the common greeting. He didn't give Jesus that. He didn't offer Jesus water so he could wash his own feet. He, this was, this was co- common hospitality. Like if you have a guest in your home in the wintertime and they're wearing a big winter coat, you know the polite thing to do is say, you know, may I take your, take your coat? You wouldn't let somebody just sit there in their big giant coat, probably. He didn't offer any, Jesus any anointing oil. By the standards of that culture, Simon did not show much love to Jesus. Why? Jesus said, the one who was forgiven of much loved much. But Simon doesn't understand that he even needs to be forgiven at all. He didn't understand he needed Jesus. Only one of those two people got it. One of them knew they were deeply broken and desperately in need of the forgiveness that Jesus offered. And the other believed that he was already righteous before Jesus ever stepped into his life. That's why it was so easy for Simon to look down on this woman. He could see her brokenness. It wasn't that hard. Everybody knew about her brokenness. But he could not see his own brokenness. Simon and the other religious gurus did not understand something that the woman did understand. Jesus did not come to save people who think they're already righteous. Jesus came to save sinners. I know the word sin is not a word that happens in our culture and nothing is viewed as sin. I get it, but here's the fact. Until... You lost, you don't get found. Only lost people get found. Only sinners get saved. And if we never come to terms with the fact that we have something for which to be forgiven, the forgiveness doesn't come. It's not there. This woman got it. She got it. And you notice when Jesus, uh, he said, her sins, which are many, did he deny her sins? And he said, oh, no, she's, actually a, she's actually a good person deep down. No, he didn't say that. He said, yep. Yep, she's a sinner, and she's done a lot of sinning. It's true. He knew it. She knew it. She was a mess, and she came in and said, Here I am, I'm a mess. She was such a mess, she couldn't even express it in words. She just wept. She just wept. She came ready to admit her shortcomings and to ask for forgiveness, and she got it. That's where Simeon missed out. Simeon is a Pharisee. Probably he didn't have such a wild past as this woman. He he did not have her reputation. He did not have such an obviously messed up life. But he was not without sin. We don't know the story of his sin, but we know it was there because every human being has sin the law of god is so very exacting that there is nobody who can honestly read the even the ten commandments and say yeah i'm good i've never done any of this we all are guilty before the word of god it's a it's a standard of perfection that nobody can keep and god doesn't expect us to keep it he knows we couldn't that's why he sent jesus the law's purpose was to show us we could not be righteous on our own 
so we could see we needed Jesus. Simon needed redemption just as much as this woman, but he couldn't see it. So he missed out. Listen very carefully. I don't know how this statement's going to land, but it's the truth. Ponder this a second. If you bristle up at it a little bit, that's okay. Just let it sink in. Here it is. The biggest spiritual obstacle for most people is that they aren't sinners in their own eyes. Jesus is the Savior for sinners. This woman understood her sin. Jesus did not understand his. Both of them had chains, but only one of them saw their chains. The woman saw that she was shackled to her sin. Simon couldn't see his. He was blind to it. He didn't know he was lost. So he couldn't get found. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Thing is, you don't get found till you get lost. You don't see until you recognize your blindness. Only sinners get saved. And until you can see why you need forgiveness, you'll never receive it. When the world thinks of Christians, sometimes they picture somebody like, Simon, you know, self-righteous, judgmental. And you know what? You'll meet some church people like that, that are self-righteous, that are judgmental, who, who look down on others for the mess in their lives while simultaneously being unable to see the mess in their own lives. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Church people... And people who really know Jesus aren't necessarily the one in the same. You'll meet some people who can talk a lot of religion. But it doesn't mean they know Jesus. Jesus was very plain about that. He said there'll be people who, who do a lot of things in my name, but they don't really know me. Somebody who really knows Jesus is probably going to look more like that weeping woman. Because they'll understand the forgiveness that they need. Both of these folks, Simon and the woman, were sinners in need of salvation, but only one of them fell at the feet of Jesus. And the woman, she left in freedom, but Simon was just as much in prison as he was before. Simon judged her so harshly because he did not understand his own need for redemption. And we can be sure of this. Whenever we, are, we do not have compassion on broken people, we probably don't understand our own brokenness enough. Only Sinners get saved. Only the lost get found. Only those who know they're blind ever get a chance to see. Jesus didn't come for the self-righteous. He came for a wretch like me. That's who he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, I pray that we'll understand something of our own brokenness in this moment. This world tells us that, that there's no such thing as sin. And sometimes it makes a pretty good case, but Lord, we feel the truth. You can take away the label that something is sin, but you don't take away the guilt. The feelings of guilt are still there. And we need to be set free, Lord. To be set free. God, I, 
I want to pray for everyone listening to this, everyone receiving this message. That you would help us to have an understanding of how much we need you and how our own righteousness cannot possibly measure up. Lord, I pray for anyone who needs to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved, that they would do so in this moment and ask to be born again in a new life. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are saved that you would give us compassion on those with messed up broken lives because our lives are messed up and broken too, just in different ways. God, we give this all to you and ask that you would work mightily among us. God, I pray for every family represented in this church building today that you would bless them, that you would give them your favor, that you would show them your power. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, next week is Father's Day. And we'll be doing a little bit of something for Father's Day. I'm just so encouraged that that uh, no matter what sort of a, a father experience you have on earth, we've all got a father, God. He loves us like no other. Mark your calendars, July the 10th, Baptism Sunday. July the 10th, Baptism Sunday, okay? That's all I got for you all today. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Take care. <laughs>